On today's Roadman podcast, we have the one and only Mr. Alex Dowsis. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Welcome back to another Roadman Cycling Podcast. I'm really excited about today's interview, as I'd imagine all you are if you're cycling fans. We have one of the fastest men against the clock over the last decade, Mr. Alex Dowsett. He's held a world error record, and then he's gone back at it again. He's won Giro d'Italia stages, national championships, and he's just been a staple in the World Tour since he burst onto the scene. I'm super excited to chat to him about all things cycling, about his YouTube channel, the Tyres Club, life after cycling, and much, much more. Before I dive into the podcast, let me just give you a shout out to the Beer Fund. Uh, over on patreon.com forward slash Anthony underscore Walsh. That's where you can buy me the price of a beer once a month. And I can crack that beer on the next podcast. Uh, much appreciated everyone that's bought a beer over on the beer fund. And if you haven't, what are you waiting for? Head on over. Okay, I've pushed it off long enough. This is a really fun interview with a top guy. It's Mr. Alex Dowsett. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Alex, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, just getting over a real poorly timed bout of sickness, um, which is not COVID. So everyone kind of relaxes when it's, oh, you've just got a cold. Okay. You've just got the flu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, which has kind of uh, thrown a spanner in my works to my plans to have a very big January. Um, and yeah, but otherwise, otherwise I'm good. Um, I always equate that COVID like, oh, you, you don't have COVID. It's good. It's like, you know, I've got, I've got pneumonia. It's like you have a crash and you absolutely stack it up and someone asks you, wearing your helmet? And I was like, yeah, I have two broken legs. Helmet yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always, uh, I, I sometimes think in, um, in bike racing, it's being ill is, um, is tough because it's kind of, you can't see it. Like you're just saying to the team doctors or your managers, like, I'm unwell. Like, and they're like, oh, okay. Well, and the line is like, oh, you have to rest. Um, Sometimes, Alexandro Demarchi and I pulled out of the Giro last year at the same time, me with an illness and Demarchi with, um, uh, well, he really smashed himself to pieces in a crash. And <laughs> he left a hero and I was just like, oh yeah, Alex got sick. And it's just, yeah, it was kind it, of. Uh, it's like that with the recovery because we were talking off air about recovery from COVID. And, you know, I'm going through, I'm probably three weeks since I've had it now and I'm absolutely creeping. But in a lot of ways, you prefer to have a broken collarbone because at least you can see the progress week on week where you just have this frustrating, oh my God, my heart rate's hard, my power, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like just with this cold, I wake up and I'm like, am I okay? No. Okay, we'll wait another day then. Um, it's just, yeah, repeat times kind of yeah, 10, 11 days now. Uh, talk to me about your YouTube channel. What was the inspiration behind starting it? Because it's absolutely popped. Uh, yeah, it's going well. Um, I really enjoy it. I mean, I, I guess it's, um, uh, it came together because of Chanel and I. Um, I've always, I guess I've liked playing around with cameras. I've always had a GoPro, always kind of been fascinated with popping the GoPro on the bike in different places, trying to get that sensation of speed and trying to work out how to eradicate the wind noise and get um, like the sound of the bike rather than the wind, just bits and pieces. And then, um, yeah, Chanel, my, my better half comes from a marketing background and it was kind of like, well, let's, let's do something with this. And we kind of, I guess we spotted a bit of a gap in the market, but um, uh there was no uh, pro cyclists uh, doing YouTube. Um, oh, one other, a guy called Willie Smith, who I was teammates with at Katusha. Yes, I've actually had Willie on the podcast. Ah, yeah, real cool guy um, and very good, very good YouTube channel. So it was just the two of us. Um, and, yeah, we just kind of, yeah, as I saw, just saw a gap gap in the market, I guess. Um 
kind of podcasts like no disrespect but podcasts got saturated pretty quickly um it was kind of like everyone seemed to be firing up a podcast and you know some would it's like a lot of these things it's you can fire it up and having a, a name or a following gets you a, a quick um a quick following yeah quite quickly or a small yeah a small but a small following that perhaps someone else without the 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 sort of the, the pro cyclist um name tag could would have to work um sort of churn for a fair few podcasts or videos to get to. So we kind of have we have that kickstart. But then yeah, I think YouTube and I'd imagine the podcast world is pretty pretty fickle. If your content's pretty crap or you're not consistent, then it won't grow. And that's um yeah, I think there's just so much choice out there, is there? And you're also not just competing. Yeah. I think this with the podcast, like you're not just competing with other cycling podcasts, you're competing with every other podcast, but I'm also competing with it just for attention with Netflix, with your YouTube channel, with fucking dope sick on Disney Plus. Like there's so many yeah. other things someone could be doing right now rather than listening to us talk shit about cycling on a podcast. Yeah, I mean I've I've a podcast, especially like YouTube, I understood. I liked YouTube. I follow a lot of the car, the car stuff. Podcasts, um, it was never something I really got into, and I was, I was amazed at the popularity of them. And I just, uh, yeah, I was, I was like, okay, like that's that's a big thing, but it's already, it's already commandeered by um, a bunch of other pro cyclists. So I've seen a great tweet sure today. Uh, someone saying the real heroes for the pandemic are those who didn't start a podcast. <laughs> 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 yeah it's uh no I, do, I, I stick with my youtube i enjoy it i think it's um it's good fun and and you know we've got a we've got a really nice following a really sort of support, supportive positive following and, and it seems to sort of steadily be growing and and that's um yeah it's it's good and again i guess forward thinking to life after cycling as well uh, yeah could, i think you got that traction thing. like you're saying I, I think you know that's the way to do it it's like throw shit at a wall and see which bit sticks like for yeah. me i tried youtube and i tried podcast and i think i got to like nine thousand subscribers or something on youtube but that yeah. was fucking grind to get there and i yeah. you know I, I could put out a video and it's like three thousand people and watch it and then i started putting out podcasts and even within the first couple of months i was way outstripping that and i was like oh, okay this is a lot easier because i found i was just all day having to go around i committed to trying to do one video a day for an entire year Oof. and yeah. i made it like five months i think and then yeah. i came apart bad me that's i mean that's 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 commitment though that really is we 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 aim for one a week uh, i think they're probably on average it's one every 10 days or two weeks um yeah I, I feel like at this point we need to do a like a dynamic ad inserted for surf shark. <laughs> I just conditioned it in your voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, been, I mean, they've been like wonderful. I mean, I, again, it was a sponsor kind of surf shark was one of our first integrated sponsors and they've, they've stuck with it. So clearly, like, clearly they're seeing, I mean, the beauty of all this stuff is it's all trackable. You can, you can see a direct, um, the sort of click through rates and all of that. And they, I continue to support the channel and it's, it's, you know, I have to, we've had to start thinking of more ingenious ways to, to sort of um, merge into the, the sort of the advertisement section section. So I'm trying to use my, my wit to, um, I think we had one, like we got, we got robbed. Um, we had a car broken into and we we had a YouTube video, not about the car being broken into, but as part of our kind of weekend. And I think I went, I think I said something like, "Yeah, we got um, we got robbed, which isn't fun. What else isn't fun is virtual robbery." The cheesiest segue. Yeah, yeah. Um, just so, to give some context, yeah, but, to listeners. So, yeah. Surfshark is a VPN that sponsors Alex's YouTube channel. So, I'm sure if you head on over to his YouTube channel, is there some mad discount you give? Huge discount. It's massive. It's eighty three percent. You get eighty three percent off for three months. Um, yeah, and then it's no, is yeah, it's great. Like, 
I mean, what did they say? Two smoking barrel. If you're not happy with that, you're not happy shopping. You're happy shoplifting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was eighty three percent. It was like, and I think for a couple of months it went up to eighty four percent, and then it came back to eighty three percent. It seems awfully specific, but then maybe that's. Um, so I remember I was chatting to a cycling weekly journalist a few years ago, and they've they'd stopped doing like ten things you should uh, do to improve your cycling, and moving more towards like. 13 things you should do to improve your cycling because yeah. people, I think if it's like 13, it seems more I think, genuine like them because they've stopped on 13. That means there is not 14, like there is 13 and there is not 12 either. So. Yeah, definitely. I'm fascinated by these sort of pattern interrupts because we'd spend a lot of our, like on, behind the podcasts, the actual company is a coaching company. So we'd spend a lot of money on Facebook ads every week. But I'm fascinated with pattern interrupts and what stops you scrolling on Facebook and definitely uneven numbers. Like I only screen captured just before the call, I screen captured an ad and it was some guy, how I made 13,186 euro and 54 cent a day. And I was like, that's a very weird number of money to make. Yeah. And I screen captured it because I was like, it's a pattern interrupt. You know, if you say this is the sessions that added 20% onto your threshold or this is the sessions that added 17.846% onto my threshold. Yeah. No, exactly. Uh, and yeah, the, the sponsors make, uh, you know, it makes it all possible and it makes it, you know, I've been, I've been protective of the podcast and I've had quite a few sponsors come and approach and, but because it's the coaching companies running in the background, I don't have that necessity to take the sponsor straight away. So I've been, yeah. you know, some of them just didn't fit. It's been like spammy supplement companies and stuff. So, you know, when the right one comes along and it seems like you found that, it's the, I think you know when it's the right time to take it on. If it feels wrong, it yeah. probably is wrong. I think there's, a, I completely agree with you. I think there's also a, um, there's a bit of a taboo around sponsors. Um, like people don't, it's like people don't want to see sponsors. Um, and they, you kind of, there's this bit of a, a guilt if you have a sponsor, but, I mean, so many things would not exist without sponsorship. I mean, I mean, the easy one for me to talk about is the hour record. Like, without sponsors, that that would not have been feasible. And it's like, well, I shouldn't shy away f- from saying that and thanking the generosity of of these sponsors. But then it's also it's a two way thing. It's like I'm here to say, you know, that these these companies and and I do, I do with Chanel and I, we do try and always align ourselves with brands that um like we believe in or that we use like we both use surfshark um and i think you know if we believe in it then we're more than happy to um to promote it but then yeah it's like it's it's kind of how the world works really it wouldn't be on a problem for pro cycling at the moment it's you have these teams and you know, you just look at Quebec Assos going under this year. There's so many good bike riders out there and everyone is looking for, it's not quite the Formula One trying to get a Formula One seat, but it's super, super competitive to get these places in the world tour. And mm. guys aren't opening their eyes to what you're opening your eyes to going, okay, like, yeah, I'm a bike rider, but there's, you know, there's 50 other bike riders, you know, without disrespect, there's not 50 other bike riders like you, but you know what I'm getting at? There's, you know, a lot of bike riders that can do the same job and it's how do you add a differentiation to that? And how do you yes. make yourself, you know, more of a brand? How do you give a return on investment to sponsors? Because there's a reason sponsors aren't flocking to pro cycling. There's no return on investment there. It's like, it's like charity or philanthropy. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of teams which have a very fragile, um, sort of fragile existence in the, um, yeah, you know, you know, my team, for example, is is I think up until now, now that we've secured more sponsorship with with Premier Tech and and um, a few other bits, it, it was one guy or one like the main backing was was one guy who is a massive fan of cycling and wants yeah. to, um, you know, Sylvan Adams, he wants to promote cycling in Israel and and use this, but what it was like it's so fragile because like what happens if he gets um bored of cycling if he decides that you know he's he's going to be more fascinated with sailing and wants to wants to do that instead like the team 
the team crumbles almost overnight. And we had exactly the situation in Ireland. We had the leisure event series. I think it was like, I can't remember, it was like seven or eight leisure events through the summer were sponsored by our postal service that was called on post. They also sponsored a yes. continental team and they yeah, also sponsored our eight day 2.2 professional race, the on post Ross. And then That's I had a lot a, for one sponsor, isn't it? Yeah. And I had a change of CEO who the new CEO comes in. It's like, actually, I don't like cycling. I like sailing. And all of a sudden we <laughs> lose the team, the events, the Ross in one year. And you're looking yeah. at the organizers of these events and going, you couldn't have diversified. You couldn't have seen this shit coming. It's like, yeah, yeah. fucking pull your head out, lads. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's, and the good thing for us is we are, um, yeah, the team now is is becoming more resilient, I guess, with with a few more um, a few more sponsors, so that it's yeah. yeah. I had a mate, and I was uh, teammate when I was in French amateur team, and then he signed for Rafa Condor, and I built a coaching oh, yeah. company with him at the start, Aaron Bogle. But he was out of cycling for he was probably out of pro cycling for four years. And then he was at a wedding one night and he was completely hammered at the wedding. And <laughs> there was an old director of ours was at the wedding and a director dared him to come back and ride the on post Ross. And in a drunken state, <laughs> he agreed with four weeks training and having been off the bike for four years to do the yeah. Ross. And that moment, like he looks back at that moment and goes, oh, fuck, that was like, that was a mistake. Do you have a moment yeah. like that with the Euro record where you're like, fuck, should I went at that again? That was a lot of hard work. Um, not when we got to Mexico, uh, there was a few evenings probably in the, in the month or two leading up to it, where it was like, shit, we are so short on budget here and like, we don't have the, the funds to, um, uh, to cover this ourselves. At what point is this irresponsible? Whilst we've got a, a one year old like, that we're trying to raise as, as well as we can, um, you know, is this, uh, we don't, yeah, record, I don't, you, ultimately I didn't need to do it. I mean, I felt like I need, I needed to do it for me, but, you know, I could have quite sort of, not happily, but I could have ended my career going, I held the hour record um, yeah. I and I didn't go back. Even I could have gone back, but I didn't go back because it was, it was too hard. Um, so there, there, there was a couple of evenings where it was like this: we, we're going to have to knock this one on the head, and then we'd scrabble around and and reach out to some new contacts, like some guys uh, called Endurance Zone, who who sort of bought up a, a good chunk of money through a few of their contacts, and just yeah, managed to just managed to scrape it together, and um, yeah, it was um, yeah, well ultimately successful even though it was not successful so yeah so what pushes you to get through those dark moments instead of going you know what i'm just going to kind of in is it a little bit of the you know public shame of announcing it and then having to back out of it is it you um, truly believe you can go and take the record or is it more motivated by the charities i probably there was no, never would have been shame in, in backing out of it um because I, I would never have been um I would never have been ashamed to go, you know what? Like I cannot put this much of our own resources into, yeah. um, into this, into a um, sort of a, a self project when I have a daughter that I want to sort of do the best in life for. Um, and this, this isn't that. So I would have had absolutely no shame in, in that. Um, uh, the, I think I, as I've got older, I've I've thought forwards quite a bit, um, short term and long term. Like, so you wake up, you've got five or six hours to do. It's the weather's not great. You're not feeling very motivated. Quite often, I'll think forwards. It's like, well, how am I going to feel at the end of that ride if I do it or if I don't do it? And that usually gets me out the door. Um, it's a good strategy. And. Same with you know, interval sessions, but also the same with the hour record. I was like, Christ, my you know my career came quite close to ending at the end of 2020 with um, some contract um, some contract worries, and I was like, you know what, I, I don't want to finish my career having not 
had another go at the hour record because in 2015, like, yes, I broke it, but I finished. And my, one of my first thoughts was like, could have gone further, could have gone faster. Um, and it was, it was really, really gut wrenching to sit there and go, like, I could have given Brad a hard time. Um, <laughs> and that's, yeah. I, uh, and I think given the time again, I wouldn't have done it any differently just because Movistar, that's what Movistar wanted me to do. And they organized the whole thing. And all I had to do is basically turn up. Um, and I think, you know, but there's something quite, um, there's something quite um, difficult, uh, not difficult is the wrong word, hollow, I guess, about throwing like months and months of work in um and then not deliver, delivering what was ultimately was a high zone three, low zone four ride, um, and not actually performing to the best of your ability, um, which was you know another motivator for going back. And you know, I think uh, part of me was like, oh, let's just rent the track out for an hour and like sort of nick a track bike off Team GB, borrow Manchester for an hour, ask him to turn the heaters on and see what I can do. Um, just for my own, for my own, um, uh, yeah, my own sort of head. Um, but then it was like, oh, well, if we're going to do that, we may as well, may as well do it properly. And you had a massive sponsor in Pfizer, and then like my team, like put in a, a significant chunk of money as well. Israel um, Premier Tech, and they, and then it becomes much bigger, and then you can't, you you can't just uh, rock up and. So unofficially do it. And then I think if you do the UCI, I get quite upset as well. And it seems um, like it, it's not, I don't say it's beatable because it's not fucking beatable for me, but it seems like a record that can be beaten. Like going into that, I was like, I don't know. I, like I, I kind of thought I was watching it with my girlfriend and she's like, is he going to get it? And I was like, I don't know, 50, 50, I'd say like, there's a good chance it can be beaten, but it seems like if like Ghana goes at this record, it's done. No one else is going at the record. Uh, yeah, I mean it's done for like done for now, and then later further down the line there'll be there'll be another Ghana, and now technology will move on again. Um, so yeah, I mean for sure he's he's your he's your one that you'd consider to be able to really stick a big chunk lump on it at the moment. Um, yeah, I think there's some other guys in the world tour that could definitely and outside the world tour, of course. Um, like Dan, I think John Archibald um, could really give it a good a good go. I'd love to see what Ashton Lambie could do because he is tiny and his aero, his CDA is insane. Especially um, Yeah, so uh, yeah, I think there's there's a bunch of guys, and, and it is beatable. I think yeah, for for me, it's it's painful how close it was, even though it was two laps off. But you're um, and. I think with a different, with a different uh, preparation, um, yeah, you learn you learn more from your your mistakes than you do your your good days. But you know, looking back, I could, I think I could find it. I certainly could not do much more, but I think I could scrape it on a better air pressure day, better preparation, a bit less less stress in the running. Um, yeah, maybe looking at the sea level day. It's it's. Yeah, you guys like a, Ashton Lambie, do they have, you know, undoubtedly he's the talent and undoubtedly he's, you know, he's put down some amazing records. I think he's the world record. In, does he have the world record in the IP at the moment? Yes, he does. Uh, but do they have the machinery behind them to pull off the air record? Because it seems like anyone that goes for it just talks about how stressful it is. It's the logistics of trying to organize it. Um. Yeah. That I mean, it's massive. It's... I think just having uh, you need to Ashton would have to have the ideal scenario is to just be able to turn up and have what I had in in 2015 with Movistar. They say how much track time do you need? Where do you need it? They booked it all. I went and did it, trained for it, and then they're like, okay, this is the date. Um, turn up. Then with that, you you get a couple of uh, sponsorship. Um, requirements and I wouldn't say I think I was lucky with Movistar that we had very very good equipment um, but you know then you could start looking at um, you know like who's got a 
I'm Movistar now. I've got an Abbas Aero helmet, and I, I don't think it's fast. Like if so, then you start getting a way up, a toss up between what's um, what's quick and what's not, and then knowing that you're you're going to have to give something away. But it's yeah, it's all about balancing it. To be honest, like we had the big balance. How much time do we spend at altitude versus how much time do we spend on the track? Um, and there's you know, little compromises like that. So. And, you know, you're an absolute, you know, you're probably best known for just being a TT specialist, one of the fastest of the last generation against the clock. How frustrating is that to be confined in your TT equipment? You know, I've seen you're rocking the new, what's the new bike? Is the Hanzo? Yes. Yes. Like, and how um, much ability do you have to tweak that and say, okay, I want to put my own aero bars onto it. I want to put my own you know, whatever it is onto it. I want to write out some metrics. Um, yeah, Israel Premier Tech are pretty good. They're, they, um, they're pretty open to, if you can prove something's faster, um, they'll, they'll do their best to let you use it. Um, That's cool. And I think generally, like I've, last couple of years, I've spent a lot of time in a wind tunnel and I kind of, I always, um, say if i'm testing for someone else um if i'm doing like suit testing for the team or suit like, helmet testing for team gb or something i'll be like oh can i just run this um like for my <laughs> own uh i'll always try and sneak a couple of runs of um like my own research in at the end of the test and, and come back with some with some data and what I'll always try and do is, is something that will help the team. I, I try to not be selfish with it. I, um, yeah, like a, a big one, the other, and it, I think as I've got older and realized you have to, certainly with bike riders, you have to really explain the results in a certain way, because whilst I understand that, that if there's a 5% gain in a, in a skin suit, someone else might go oh yeah no that like, that sounds good we, sh we should probably realize and i'm like do you understand what that means yeah like how big that is and they're like yeah right. well it's for, you know five percent it's um yeah but you just put a bit more power out and i'm like <laughs> if you're doing five if you're doing 420 watts i only have to do 400 to go the same speed as you i think people don't sort of um make that connection but they don't believe it can be that much of a difference and um i think the one that i i did a couple of years ago was uh, road race skin suits because we had uh we didn't have a good road race skin suit and i i got a friend of mine to make me um basically a tt suit with pockets and i set these two suits in the tunnel and i made it as fair as i possibly could so I did a, a test for the climbers, a test for the sort of breakaway riders, and then a test for the sprinters. And the sprinters are the ones that are really, um, it's funny, given that they are the fastest, it's amazing how unwilling they are to um, acknowledge aero yeah. being a thing. Um, you know, what happens at 70k an hour is far more important than what happens at 20. So... <laughs> I did this test. I put numbers on both the suits. I stuck um, some food in the pockets to make it as real life as possible and found, uh, but then I said to the guys in the tunnel, I was like, can you put the results into like a real world scenarios? Not like oh, this one's 2% better or 20 Watts better. Cause no one actually understands what that means on the road. Um, and they came back. So the climbing one, I think it was, we, we simulated it into a 5k climb at 5%. It was going to take 20 minutes and the TT suit was seven seconds faster. So it's not much, but it's not nothing either. Yeah. Um, the between on the yeah. Yeah. Um, the breakaway one was, uh, yeah, I, I can't remember the exact results, but it, it, it generally guys in the breakaways that a lot, you don't have to convince them that aerodynamics exists. Like they're pretty open to it. Yeah. Um, but the sprinters one, sprinters one was brilliant. Uh, wind was at 70 K an hour and over 200 meters, there was a 1.6 meter difference between the fast road race skin suit and the slow road race skin suit. Fucking hell. Well, then a, 
Yeah, then a sprinter's eyes lights up because they're like, well, I've lost so many races by less than that. Yeah. And and they're like, you mean to say that if I use this suit, I'm going to be one and a half meters further ahead? I was like, yes, that exactly is what this is. And and also whilst you're at it, don't wear the helmet with all the holes and please put the <laughs> ventilated one. But um, I remember I used to ride for a team in Toronto and I used to hang out with Mike Barry uh, and train a lot with him. And he was saying, oh yeah I was teammates Sky. with Mike and oh yeah you were teammates of Sky with him yeah like, he was saying to tell in Sky when they started turning up with skin suits he said like lads would be busting themselves laughing just going like what are these gimps up to with their skin suits and it shows yeah. you how far we've come oh yeah yeah and even the Neopro so Aero Socks has been the one over I'd say over the last five years that people have really struggled to accept but I noted that Neopro joined um, Israel yeah, last year, a young lad called Sebastian Beric. And I think we got a kit drop and the Aerosocks hadn't turned up yet. And he was like, where's the Aerosocks? And I sort of looked at him. I was like, you want to wear them? And he was just like, why wouldn't you? I was like, there we go. You get it. <laughs> like, you understand. <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> why would you not? Regular socks to Aerosocks. Um, but it, it, um, oh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know, but it's, I mean, aerosocks will always come out faster. Yeah, it's it a number might be a little bit, might be a lot. Yeah. But then, and this was, so this was a great chat I had with, um, actually, Dan Bigham during the Tour of Britain. Um, he did a uh, inventory, inventory, sorry, on all of the riders for, on their TT bikes for the team time trial. And uh, one of the riders sort of sent the list back and he had um, a certain chain on. And Dan said, can you put a Durace chain on? And this rider was like, okay, uh, why? And Dan's like, well, because it's faster. And um, so then he turned up He turned up at the Tour of Britain and he hadn't changed the chain. Dan's like, why haven't you changed the chain? And he's like, well, yeah, but how much faster is it? And I was like, <laughs> why should that even matter? Like, if it's faster, why would you not? Like, if you sort of, translated to formula one you don't hear mercedes go oh we're gonna put this like new front wing on and someone going yeah but is it much faster yeah see it's a different equation though for <laughs> you lads than it is for amateurs because for me if i'm like okay do i throw a durace chain on and i'm like okay it's 130 quid for a durace chain and it's two seconds mm-hmm. faster now it's like oh the helmet's gonna cost me 400 quid but it's gonna be two minutes faster so it's nearly like this new crazy variable of like CDA divided by pounds to get your speed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can, I can completely understand that. Um, you know, it's, you have to prioritize what's going to get you the, the biggest gains. So if you were um, tricking out a TT bike now, say you're retired tomorrow and you're tricking out a TT bike, any brands, what are you going with? Um, for, I mean, the, the Hanzo is good. The Hanzo is very, very good. Um, and that is largely down to a, it being the, it's largely down to the, the it's the engineer that um, Graham Shive, who did the Cervelo P5, which would be another nice option. Um, but the UCI have uh, not changed rules, but relaxed some rules and misinterpreted or reinterpreted some other rules. So it's kind of the first, um, first bike that can abide by these new rules which you um, a three to which one makes sense that's quick uh yes yeah so the head tube um the head tube is 15 millimeters wide in the middle which is half the width of your tire um which is mad so i think that would be my frame choice um i would go for a composite um Composite spoke front wheel, um, yeah, sort of a tri spoke or, or something. Um, I think just at the moment they are. Uh, I, it's not something I've tested. I just cannot see how they can be slower than a, a spoked wheel. Yeah, um, in my sort of yeah, just looking at it. Um, but then you know you look at what Ineos is using, and they sort of, they're a good benchmark because they have freedom. Um, they seem to rock up with a different set of wheels all the time. They've got lightweights, aero coach wheels, Princeton wheels, um, as well as their Durace wheels. So 
they're clearly trying to find all they're not confined by sponsors um disc wheels are pretty pretty benign actually there's a lot of importance placed on a disc wheel but it's not as the differences are not as big as the front wheel um and actually the same goes for the um handlebars that are cupped like the follow you sort of your speed bar kind of thing i mean don't like they look lovely they um they're, they're really nice for support but from an aero point of view, the difference is not as big as it looks. Um, and to be honest with you, the the, the biggest um, the, the biggest place worth spending time on and money on is your skin suit um, every day of the week because it's just it's the largest body of mass that you're trying to move through the air. Um, the hands are the front end of the hands are away. The the sort of riser on the handlebars it looks very. P5-esque, so it's interesting you said it was the same engineer that worked on both of them. Yes. Yeah, Graham Shrive. Um, brilliant, brilliant guy. That's very smart. And how much importance do you place on oversized jockey wheels, wax chains? Uh, oversized jockey wheels actually um, could be, for, from an aero perspective, the, uh, the gain in chain line efficiency is outweighed uh, by the aero loss and having a larger jockey wheel, um, I think, I think is what I'm starting to hear. It's not something I've tested because it's not, um, it's not been important. But that's when you, if you look at, you know, Rowan and Ganner and and these guys in in the uh, in TTs, they're not running them. So, but ceramic, there's just no reason to not have um, ceramic bearings. And then I think where like just getting ceramic bearings is one, but if you clear all the grease out, put a smaller amount of light sort of TT grease in, then things will just run freely. Um, mixed opinions on how much it's going to give you, but it feels nice, you know? And so that that's a big chunk. Um, and then I think one place people, I, I obsess over and get laughed at in Team GB is actually bearings in the pedals. Um I've gone to I've never worlds heard and just turned everything. No, uh, I don't change them. I just strip all the sort of the, the the compacted grease out and then put a really light one in, and they just they spin, they spin. <laughs> and and interestingly, the it's not something that you'll see on a power meter. Like you'll you'll never be able to tell um, for, unless it's in a pedal based power meter. I guess then you'd be able to tell, but in a any power meter that happens after the the pedal bearing, if you like, so a, a spider based one, a crank based one, a, a turbo trainer based one will not pick up if you've changed uh, from fast pedals to slow pedals because it's the, very, res- very the resistance has already been absorbed. Uh, changing changing the lane slightly, uh, your role, I suppose, within the team, you know, maybe a measure of how competitive time trials have become, or maybe a you know a measure of you evolving as a rider and stage of your career. Mm. But it seems like you're progressing to becoming more of a lead out rider. How has becoming a dad sat with that kind of hecticness at a bunch of sprints and? How is, oh, congratulations uh, on the engagement, by the way. And how is your oh, wife feeling about this uh, new role? Um, it's, 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 I wouldn't say it's a new role, to be honest. My problem is I pigeonhole myself as a time trialist because I love it. And um, it's all I talk about. Uh, and certainly for the last two years with Olympics and our record, it's, it has been a main focus. Um, but I've sort of I've noticed in terms of staying in the world tour, if I'm known as a, time trial specialist that cannot win time trials that sort of generally gets, you know, top tens or the odd top five or, or something. I'm, I'm pretty useless to a team. Um, but I, I've always been, I have always been a lead out man. I was leading out in team sky. Um, sort of well, I was leading out in movie star, but we didn't have a sprinter to lead out. So I was kind of leading out into climbs or leading out, um, to yeah, to knowing that we weren't going to win because we just didn't have a high caliber sprinter, and then uh, I guess fell into the role a bit more, um, a bit more properly with Marcel Kittel at Katusha, um, and we led out very well there. 
but it, obviously Marcel had his um, had his own personal battles that he was fighting. Um, and yeah, and then we've we've got this wonderful combination. I, I know I haven't answered your question specifically, but uh, Israel Premier we've got this wonderful combination of riders with Rick Zabel, Matthias Branley, and me, where we we we're very good together and we don't have any aspirations to win bunch sprints ourselves. Um, we just want to drop someone off that can win bunch sprints and it's a lot of fun. Um, so I think that, that this year is, I think focusing on the lead on the lead out as much as I ever have, but probably talking about being a lead out man uh, will be my, will be another main goal so that, I get noticed um, part of the marketing positioning yeah yeah exactly and I mean I guess with the YouTube it's quite nice because I I do get to I don't rely on on journalists or um, interviews I do get to sort of tell everyone what's going on and and where I'm at uh, myself Um, you have the Zola for next year yes and that's that's exciting and Greipel yeah Greipel was was brilliant um yeah, it's a pity it just didn't quite come off in Turkey because we were we were dominating the leadouts there. But a young uh, Philipson and a, a obviously a very good Cavendish were there. Um, so yeah, we got Nazolo now. Um, I enjoy the chaos, I, and it's not it's not as chaotic as it looks. When I watch it back, I'm like, holy shit, that looks mental. <laughs> but um, and it was, I was talking to a racing driver. Um, or I was talking to a guy that runs a, my cousin runs a touring car team in the UK. And I was like, is it not like, is that first lap just not just mad? And he's like, well, the thing is, all you've got is the car in front of you and the car behind you. Yeah. Like, you're not aware of what's happening two or three cars in front or two or three cars behind. All you've got is your own little perimeter. And that's kind of what it's like in the bunch. You're only, you're focusing on what's happening. Um, to your right, immediately to your right, immediately to your left, and in kind of a, a, a meter-wide channel directly in front of you, all the way to the front, because that's what's going to wipe you out if there's a, if someone gets it all wrong. So, um, and I've just, I found with age, I, I've calmed down a lot um, and grown in confidence. Like, like if you need to be at this point um, in the front. I think I sit there and like, you know what? I'm good at this. I can do that. Um, and there was like a real fucking Neo out of the Matrix or something, just navigating the chaos. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's just you have to. I think the minute you start thinking that like you have to stay in the same place all the time is when it's all going to go wrong. It's just it's impossible to remain in the same place in the bunch because the bunch is always uh, moving. Um, I think it's knowing your own abilities like there was a so for example um 2020 terreno adriatico uh, there was a uh, finishing laps um it was like a hot dog uh, but it was about a 16k lap and so with 8k to go you've got the top the last corner before the, sh- the straight run to the finish line and so with 16k to go all of the directors are onto their team going you have to be well positioned for that corner and so like five or six k before this corner everyone's starting to drag race and i stuck my nose in the wind and it's it's like 500 watts <laughs> that they're doing and i'm like you know what i can't do that i i can't do that for the next eight or nine minutes so i'm not going to i'm just i'm going to drop back i'm going to surf around in the top 20 um, make sure I got my guys with me, and and then yeah, like two k to go. I had another little look, and it's like it's still sort of five hundred. I was like, no, no, still, still can't do that because you know there's then going to be an acceleration into the corner. So I kind of just surfed around, and then it was interesting. A k to go, it went up again because everyone panics. Because and I think a lot of that is the directors in the radio like panicking, yeah, and then panicking the riders, and then. 300 meters before the corner, there's like a lull because everyone's gassed. Everyone's like cooked. And then I just popped out. Do, to the do, left. Do, do. 
popped around the front of everyone and I was first into the corner having not put my nose in the wind and I kind of just laughed because I laughed I think because I'd seen a change in myself where I was like no this is this is a better way of doing this um, yeah, it's less ego and more outcome driven yeah and then we, we had another one with um like Vanderpol rocked up and we had to be into this corner first with two and a half k to go and um like we were all there Alps and Fenix were there and Vanderpol was doing a lead out and he came around he, he dived up the either the outside or the inside of me I'm not sure but I was like no no like I'm good I'm not gonna drag race you because I will lose um <laughs> and I, I think I even thought like you're 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 training like you're using this as training but you're also perhaps a little bit um naive because uh, yeah. he's he's quite young and he's got an awful lot of power and if you've got an awful lot of power you can use it to get out of most situations so I just sat on his wheel and he strung the whole bunch out and it was like Vanderpol then me then uh, three of my teammates and the sprinter and then Alpes and Phoenix and like Matthew basically did our lead out for us and dropped me off with like 1.2k to go. Happy days. Yeah. Um, so it's it's much more using my head nowadays and and than using my legs and just staying really cool, calm, and collected and and yeah, trying to navigate the chaos. So just finishing up, Alex. Uh, last question. I know you're going into contract year. How much yeah. thought have you given to? Do you want to do another year or have you started thinking about what does life look like after cycling? Um, I have thought about life. I think I had to think about life after cycling in 2020 um, when things were getting a bit uh, a bit close. Um, so yeah, I would like to do, I'd like to do two more, two more years after this one. Um and I think if I if I have a decent season, if I do a good lead out role, I, I think that should be that should be fine to do. Um, and yeah, I I, I think actually it's interesting because young riders are so fashionable now. Um, but I think experience counts for a lot because I think I think teams are realising when they sign young riders they. Like these these young riders need guidance. I actually, at the moment, I think the difficult bracket to be in is twenty five to thirty because you're not young and you're not experienced. Yeah. Um, so, I'm hoping that plays into my favour. Um, and then I think if it if it doesn't, we're ready. Um, like we are ready. I think I can I can look back at my cycling career and go like, you know what, I've 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 made a good job of it. Um, I think I, I think I pulled everything out myself. I was a bit lazy for a couple of years. Um, I think winning a stage of the Giro in 2013 was great, but it also it did me a lot of harm because I suddenly thought I was um, far better than I was and took my foot off the gas. Um, so but I think you know since then I've I've extracted everything I can from myself, and it's all going back to that forward thinking. It's like I chucked everything at the Olympics and. I didn't get selected and and that was that. Um, and I was, I was at peace with it because I did, I did everything I could. Um, and the hour record tracked everything we could at that and I did it. And yeah, you know, I, I might have missed the record, but like Christ did 54.555 kilometers, which is not nothing to be, nothing to be ashamed of while shooting for, for 55.2. Um, so I can be, I can be really happy with what I've achieved and, and um, yeah, I think he also like provided for family for this time as well and, and sort of set us up quite nicely for life after cycling. And, but I don't know what I want to do. I really don't. Some days, some days I, I want to just step away from cycling completely and find a job in the city and, and live that life perhaps. Um some days I'm like, it'd be stupid to to not uh, be within cycling because I think I've crafted a, a reputation for myself as knowing um, a bit of sort of knowing quite a lot with how to go faster, uh, how to turn a donkey into a racehorse, so to speak. Um, so I think it'd be silly to, to waste that. Um, I think that reputation, I actually had one rider come up to me once to, uh, on a 
road bike to ask uh, just some aero stuff. And he literally said, he's like, oh, you'll know what my CDA is. <laughs> and I was like, I just went along with it. I was like, well, if that's the reputation I've got, I'm just going to roll with it. I was like, yeah, yeah no, of course I do. Of course I do. You have a reputation everyone's. of a wizard. Yeah, just, <laughs> this just, by, yeah just by looking at you. <laughs> I put a post up on Instagram earlier on. It was like a picture of me 10 years ago and a picture now. And I was like, it's something I've been thinking about and diary and writing a lot about coming into new year. Would my younger self be proud of who I am now? And like looking back on your career, you know, a couple of Euro stage wins, you've tour of Britain's national records, national championships, ridden tour de France's provided for your family, building this cool brand. Fuck like from where I'm sitting. It seems very hard to not look back and think you've done a pretty fucking good job so far, Alex. Thank you. I hear a lot, some of that was motivated, actually. A lot of that was motivated by my dad. Um, you know, when I was young, he, my dad was a race car driver um, and he used to tell us these. And I'm massive, massive petrol head, massive motor racing fan, um, very much in the Lewis Hamilton camp um, this year with the Formula One. Um, but I just remember my dad telling all these stories um from his racing and i was sat there like oh shit what am i going to tell my kids because i need to i need to do <laughs> something and yeah i think that sort of prompted my want to be in sport and then um yeah as sort of the the um uh, what's the expression i'm looking for well i sort of fell into cycling by chance um it's something i try and bang our clients over the head when i say like fucking get a hold of it. like be the hero in your own story like be the hero that your kids will look at and go, fuck, my dad's cool. Yeah. Like, you know, so many people are just drifting through it and fucking nine to five jobs. And where's the fun stories? Where's the fuck I stuck, I drag race Vanderpaul and he let out my team <laughs> stories. Like, that's cool as fuck. No, no, no. I chose not to drag race Vanderpaul. That's the story. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I mean, but, but uh, you say that, but then you look at, like obviously, we're friends with a lot of kids with families, and yeah, their their parents are their heroes, no matter no matter what. And um, yeah, I think it's nice to. It's just I I just grew up with a dad who who was like my hero and my sporting hero as well, and that was um, yeah that that had an effect on me massively, um, which is yeah, which I think is is very much the reason why I'm doing sport um but you know there's there's probably some strong correlation between what parents do and then what their what their kids end up doing because it's 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 what you grow up with and it's what you the people you you know for a huge chunk of your life um well 100 of your life up to a point uh the people that you trust the most and look up to the most and go to the most for guidance so so if you're back on this podcast like 12 months from now, Alex, yeah. what would have to happen between now and then for you to go, fuck, bro, you won't believe how cool my year was? Um, is it family? Uh, is it sport? Is it a mixture of everything? I think to get um, to get Grand Tour stage wins with uh, Nitsolo as part of the lead out, because I've been part of some mind-blowingly good lead-outs that just haven't quite come up with the win and just to have that like buzz of um of winning uh of winning a uh, a bunch sprint i mean yeah i think what would be what would be cool is to have a successful zero and then uh get a panic call to go to the tour with a uh, with Nizzolo and and perform there would be would be something um a sprinter is i don't think a sprinter will be Israel Premier Tech's uh, is goal, but you know you just never know injuries, illnesses, and just how the yeah how everything falls into place. You never know, but um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, picking up stage wins with Nizolo and Nizero, um a a win somewhere along the line with myself. Um, I don't care where, don't care how, just just a cheeky little a cheeky little win. Um, It'd be nice to get my national national stripes back for another time because I'm I'm tired with Stuart Dangerfield on six and I just <laughs> need, and with, I think with the caliber of riders coming through I don't think it's going to be possible for anyone to get more because there's too much depth like it's going to be too competitive um, at nationals like I had some absolute gifts 
of nationals where I'd have my two, four, six minute man wouldn't turn up and I'd catch my eight minute man. Um, oh, yeah. So I don't think that's going to happen again. Um, so it'd be, it'd be nice to get the seventh, but yeah, just, and then like family wise, just uh, ah, financial stability um, feeling like we're there on, on a wedding, uh, wedding planning. Um, Cause that shit's expensive. <laughs> it's actually it's it's a breeze to organize though compared to an hour record so oh, i can fucking imagine and i suppose a hundred thousand youtube youtube subs isn't far off for you either yeah no that's a um i mean it, it'd be nice it'd be nice but it's i think it's it's about getting the you know just, just delivering stuff that people enjoy watching and having fun whilst doing it like some of the best some of the best stuff we filmed is just chats in the buses and I've, i remember i watched an ed sheeran documentary where he went on a boat to write his album for a month across the atlantic and he was like you wouldn't know that we've um we've done anything because we've been in the same clothes every day every time we film <laughs> something over the course of this month and that's like it's like being on the team bus it's like oh we're off to stage one. Oh, we finished stage one Oh, we're off to stage two. Oh, we finished stage two. Like, but then chatting with the boys and um, and them, I think they they're all quite happy to get involved and not take it too seriously and 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 joke around. And I think we had a moment in the tour of Britain where Mike uh, Woods in the Manchester stage because he's he's involved with the service course. He was like, "Oh, I'll go get everyone service course coffees," and he got it on my YouTube uh, YouTube video and. He was like, yeah, no, they're really good coffee. They're from the service course. You should check them out. And I just panned the camera around. I was like, anyone else want to shamelessly promote something whilst we're here? And I was like, pretty sure Fru will shout up at some point if he was here. So it's um, You know what it, it seems like fun. probably when you're in the bubble that, you know, I'm just making videos, but I'm on the far side of that and we're coaching clients, you know, and most of our clients, they're not aspiring young lads. You know, they're not your Joe Lavericks who are chasing world tour contracts. They're lads who are, you know, established in their career, set up their family, mainly in their 40s to 55, I'd say is the demographic. Yeah. And they're struggling with motivation. They're struggling to get on top of their weight and they're struggling to get on top of their health and their happiness. And the vehicle they choose to reclaim that health happiness is cycling. And videos like yours and Froomey and people like that that are taking the time to put this content out it helps these guys. It gets them out the fucking door. Like I know I've been sitting there in the living room, looking out the window at the rain and my kit going, fuck, will I go? Will I not? And I'll flick on a video of you or through me or something. And I'm like, fuck it. I will go like yeah. that, that's meaningful. Like it's worthwhile. Like you're making a big difference to people's lives, even though, you know, you mightn't be able to see it from your side of the camera. No, that's really nice. I, I think I did one recently just on how to, how to get through a long turbo session. Um, I said in it, I, I, I find it incredible the guys that still knock in like 15 to 20 hour weeks whilst holding down a full time job. I was like, that to me is by far and away harder than anything I'm doing because I, I, I get up, I ride, I recover. Um, I mean, I look after a one year, I joint look after a one year old as well, uh, but I would say I do 20% of the local. <laughs> and like, the thought of then like afterwards or before, having to then use mental brain power to do night work that actually puts food on the table. I, I cannot begin to fathom. And that's, um, yeah, I, I think it shouldn't be anyone that, that does that. It should never be sort of discredited for, for what I think it's, in, it's incredibly tough to be able to do that. And in my mind from the other side of the fence, tougher than like me doing a fully supported, 35 hour week on a training camp um yeah 100 it's a really difficult thing to get a hold of and it's when momentum goes against you it's so easy to you know i've lived it from both sides and when you're a full-time bike rider you know you miss a day or two days because you're feeling down in a slump you know that's a big chunk of training to miss and it's you know it seems like you've missed a lot but when you're not a full-time bike rider and you've job you've family you've other obligations like I talked to a client earlier on and he's just coming on as a client and he's like, oh, I took a week off the bike back in October and I haven't got back on since. I was like, fucking hell. And like the bike is his, you know, tool for staying happy and staying healthy. And he's in that much of a slump, but 
you know, your content and hopefully this podcast the odd time, it pulls people out of that slump. Yeah, no, I can, you know, I think for, for your guy, the hardest, unfortunately, the hardest rides are the ones after a big stint off. But I think the good thing to know is that it does, it gets better every, it gets easier every single time. So maintain after your month off in October, after we have a month off, everyone, I, I'm like, the hardest ride is that first one back. Um, that's the hardest ride of the year, bar none. Uh, Alex, people are getting sick of listening to us now. Before I go, I need to find <laughs> out the answer to this one. Have you ridden the Ross? No. Uh, you're not a proper fucking boy. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I came close. I did come close once um, to being in a, in a composite team for it. But um, yeah, alas, no. I'm sorry. You know what I'm going to do after you retire? I'm going to get from the podcast, I'm going to get all these bangers that I've had on the podcast onto this team for the Ross. And I'll just sit at the back of it and watch fucking you and Woodsy and I'll just rip it to shit. <laughs> well, I think there's, there's another race I want to, I want to do the, um, is the regional championships in the UK. Like I'm not allowed to do it because if you, you can't ride that level of race, if you're, a, if you if you're on a world tour team, um, just, I mean, like, I'd also have to win it, but the, the bragging rights to be able to say, I am the Essex champion, like <laughs> <laughs> arguably bigger than being national champion. <laughs> Alex Delta, thanks for joining me on the Roadman podcast. Uh, thanks very much for having me. Cheers, buddy. Roadman, before you rush off, I want to mention something completely new. We've recently just formed the new Roadman Cycling Club. So there's two elements to this club. One, it's a virtual club. You can join it anywhere in the world. And two, it's an in-person club based in Ireland. So if you're a racing cyclist in Ireland and you're looking for a team to race in the colours of next season, if you're looking to hang out with some amazing people and do group rides on the weekend, go and check it out. It's roadmancycling.com forward slash roadmancc. The link is in the show notes. Hope you can join us as part of the new Roadman Cycling Club.